Welcome back to another episode of the Dundee University Politics Society podcast podcast. Today, I'm joined as always by my co-host John. Hello. The spotlight has recently been shined on human rights abuses in the People's Republic of China in regards to their treatment of the Muslim Uyghur people in Xinjiang province in the western country. Controversial so-called re-education camps have opened and continually criticised by organisations, particularly in the West, as attempting to eliminate the Turkic Islamic culture from the region. With the Belt and Road Initiative expanding railroads west towards Central Asia and Europe, Xinjiang's location as a border province has made it a prominent and important domestic policy objective to ensure that the area is kept under control of the Beijing government. Today we're joined by Luisa Stonescu, who's been looking into the subject for us to analyse what sort of situation we are really looking at in this distant and inaccessible part of the world. Well, hello, hello, hello. Hello, thank you so much for joining us, Louisa. So to get right into it, um, what is the story behind the origins of the situation in Xinjiang and what can we understand about its past that might help us to work out what's going on there now? Uh, well, uh, Xinjiang has been a region claimed by China in 1949 when the Chinese government, when the Chinese uh, Communist Party took power. Um, the um, government are using the 9-11 attacks as a justification um, as a part of the global war on terrorism to lock up and spy on Muslim citizens. In 2009, riots in the capital broke up, broke out as uh, uh, Uyghur demonstrators protested against the migration of the state in the area, which unfortunately led to 200 people uh, being killed. The region has turned into a civilian state, which means that uh, the individuals are being monitored by regular scanning of their identification cards, fingerprints, and searching cell phones. Um, the government is also collecting and stores the citizens' biometric uh, data, which means that it creates a list of quote-unquote suspicious people. In relation to this, the Council on the Foreign Relations reported that China has detained more than a million Muslims in the re-education camps. So, Louisa, would you say that the situation in Xinjiang right now is quite easily comparable to George Orwell's 1984? Um, well, probably so, so yeah. So we've seen a, a lot recently, certainly in the media, about these so-called re-education camps being operated by the Chinese government in Xinjiang. Louisa, what do we know about what is happening in these camps? And are we in any way able to believe what the Chinese government claims they're actually doing there? Well, at the beginning, the state officials kind of um, denied that the existence of the existence of the camps. However, there's been evidence um, that has been that has been found that the construction spending on the security-related facilities grew by 20 million uh, yuan in 2017. So this means uh, that there've been reports uh, reports of uh, torture and individuals being subject to sleep deprivation during interrogations. Additionally, to that. Um, the detainees are forced to pledge alliance uh, to the Chinese Communist Party and renounce um, Islam. On top of that, uh, women are experiencing sexual abuse, so some of them are forced to undergo abortions or have some type of contraception devices implanted against them, um, in them against their will. Uh, so Lisa, you've said a fair deal, I mean, you've given a, a clear picture of what's happening inside these camps. So what yeah. about what's happening outside of them? Would you say that everyday life for Uyghur Muslims living outside the camps is in any way normal? No, definitely not. Um, it's been reported that some of the uh, Uyghur households are being paired with a party member from the Chinese Communist Party, uh, right. which means that the member can drop in at any time 
So it makes it dangerous for the families to practice their religion, speak their language, or even eat certain foods. So just out of interest, do you know where the sources of a lot of this information is coming from? Because I'm guessing it's not coming from the, the Chinese government itself. No, there's a lot of uh, leaked documents which show how the detainees were oppressed, locked and prevented from leaving the facilities. Um, there's a lot of um, the WHO are also making some um, assumptions and there is uh, Google Maps images and um, kind of videos showing how the camps are growing over the years. So, for example, in between April 2017 and August 2018, 39 of the camps have tripled in size. To go on, is, is there anything else in Xinjiang that we should kind of understand that is causing so many human rights organisations to, to condemn the Chinese government um, beyond sort of the persecution? Yeah, certainly. Um, the officials within uh, Xinjiang have destroyed mosques and parents are banned from giving uh, their kids names such as uh, Mohammed or Medea and halal foods are difficult to ban. Additionally, in March 2017, the government passed an anti-extremist law, anti law, which means the people are prohibited from growing long beards and wearing veils in public. I mean, I mean yeah. 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 Do you have anything to jump in with John? Or do you want to move on to the next question? Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, like, um, like as Jake said, there's, um, there's non-governmental organisations that are criticising the Chinese government for their actions in Xinjiang. But yes. Louisa, do you think that states and international organisations um, have a moral responsibility to be playing a bigger part here in policing this issue? Um, certainly, as far as I'm aware, um, the WHO and um, the National, oh, the the Council for, for Foreign Relations are trying to, um, you know, sanction uh, the Chinese government. However, over the years, mm -hmm. the government has managed to kind of go around it by calling the re-education camps a vocational tr uh, training center, which is kind of described as a boarding school. Mm. Um, so it's not, no, they have a ways of going, of going around it, but it's been brought up to light quite a lot recently, especially last year. Yeah, I think it's interesting because, I mean, when we spoke to Dr. Brown about the situation in China regarding COVID, um, he spoke a lot about how countries have very different uh, and diff sometimes difficult relationships with China in terms of trade uh, that prohibit them from being able to actually condemn some human rights situations or um, surveillance issues because they have such a reliance for trade on China. So I think it's really, I think it's a really interesting kind of um, almost anti-moralistic approach that we're seeing from a lot of countries where they refuse to kind of talk about these issues specifically because of the, of the trading situation um, there. And, and kind of leading on from that, Louisa, do you think there's anything else that we can read between the lines about the current uh, international situation and also Xi Jinping and the, the Beijing government's uh, behaviour? Um, anything beyond what we can see from the reporting that we should be looking at as perhaps a reason for, for all of this situation? Um, yeah, from my research, I found that the underlying uh, reason for it would be the um, economy. Uh, so as far as I'm aware, President, the president of China wants to create um, a trade route, which, was, uh, which is based on the Silk Road, uh, which passes through Africa and Europe. 
um, so you know to connect them. So this will significantly expand uh, China's economic influence further to it. Um, and as we know geographically, uh, Xinjiang is central to, to the plan as their route leads straight through it. Okay, lovely. Um, well, thank you so much for bringing this really interesting research to us, Louisa. It's been a really interesting uh, thing to get some in-depth knowledge about. So thank you so much for that. And thank you so much for joining us. So just thank you for having me. Thanks so much. Okay, we'll be back next week with another episode of the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today.